If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. I love this because you'll even hear that at times Paul doesn't even have much hope for himself, but he has hope for others. <laughs> for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will share in our comfort. We don't want you to be unaware of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For, them, for him, that was uh, in Ephesus. Bad, bad set of days. Outright riot. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. We started out our, we've started out our five-week sermon series on community, and we started out with the Trinity. And I'm going to show you this picture every time I get, just so you know. We talked about being invited into the very essence of the loving relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But here's the cool thing. We don't have to manipulate our way into it. We're actually invited into it because of their grace and love and their mercy. And we sit at their table, not as an invited guest, but as children, as family. We followed up with us and the church that we are both in a universal and global local set and local sense, that we are a body and a building, a temple, one living organism built up because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the living stone. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how that community plays out in, in being a community of comfort, a community of challenge, of confession and confrontation, of beauty and bounty. And today, so we start with comfort. And you know, one of the things I've been trying to do is reorient you as much as I can back to our kind of founding documents, our philosophy of ministry, so you can see that it, these are connected and drawn from scriptures as well. If you look on the back of your bulletin, it says in the green there, Redeemer Presbyterian Church is a worshiping community that exists to be transformed by God's grace into faithful servants of all by following Christ, connecting with each other, and engaging the world. That connecting with each other is what we're talking about here. And then if you go uh, to the little tree philosophy of ministry uh, sheet that's out, out in the back, we say two other things. We say grace changes everything and changes a slow, messy process. All of this growth takes time because it's full of fits and starts and pain, and yet is all under the banner of his love. Okay, so let me start with a couple book recommendations for you and a little story around them. In 1988, the incredible Philip Yancey, truly incredible, wrote a book called Disappointment with God. This is the 80s, man. Greed is good. Success, success, success. And it finally gave permission to Christians who may have not been experiencing success that they didn't have to live by this success matrix. 
Christians could come to God with their heartache, fear, doubt, and trouble. One bold message it says in the book, in the book of Job, is that you can say anything to God. Throw at him your grief, your anger, your doubt, your bitterness, your betrayal, your disappointment, and he can absorb them all. We could, through that book, an entire generation of Christians were able to complain to God because God had, the, script, the, the book shows us that God gives us words to have complaint and disappointment and lament to him. Not just to our circumstances or other people, but to God himself. We could bring that very thing because he is the God of all comfort. So almost 20 years later, uh, another renowned theologian named D.A. Carson wrote a book called How Long, O Lord? And in the intro to How Long, O Lord, because he's actually trying to keep that momentum going for the church, right? So 20 years later, he writes it, so he picks up a copy of Disappointment with God. Well, he's in the bookstore, he sees it, he picks it up, and on the book is a sticker that says, in metallic gold, 100% money back guarantee. If any reason you're dissatisfied with Disappointment with God, return it to Zondervan Publishing House for a complete refund. You, you see the irony. If you can't be disappointed, how are you supposed to be disappointed with God if you can't be disappointed with Zondervan Publishing House? How does that even work? I tell you those stories because what I hope we continue to do, and I think this is building on our strengths, is continue to grow and grow in being a community of comfort. It really is one of our strengths that we are comforting community because we have received great comfort, have needed great comfort, and received it and been able to give it to others. I just want this morning for this to be an invitation to more and more down this beautiful, wonderful, I won't say black hole, but it is a black hole of grace and comfort. It sucks you in, pulls you in further. What I want is what Allender says about this kind of stuff, that we'd enter the tragedy of living in a fallen world and simultaneously struggle with God until our hearts bleed with hope together. Sharing our burdens. So, a community of comfort. Three shorter um, points, because my intro is so long. Um, this community of comfort emerges from the Trinity. It embraces all of our lives, all of our pain, and it embodies a resurrection hope. It emerges from the Trinity. That's pretty easy to see the first two persons of the Trinity. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. The Father of mercies. The Father is the person, the first person of the Trinity at whose very core is fatherhood. And I know most every one of us have some type of father issues, so it can be hard. But what he's getting at is that he's the true father, the true and only good father, by which all human fathers fall or fail in comparison, and that we can hope in him, the father who brings band-aids and neosporin, who is the comforter. Then you see, obviously, in the son, because if he is the God to be blessed, because he's the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he has a son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's easy to see, but it's not just that he's a son, he's the suffering son, which is really important to, 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 to grasp if you're going to talk about the need for comfort. 
For we share in Christ's sufferings, it says in verse 5. and 9, it says, where the Father raises him from the dead, which means he died. The second person is the true son. Because of his true and perfect sonship, his perfect uh, childhood to God, he has made way that we also could be called children of God, and we can hope in him. Now, the third person of the Trinity is here as well. Um, it's not explicit, but I told you before that when the Trinity is being described or uh, 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 approached in the scriptures, it kind of more, works more like a screenplay and a soundtrack. You don't get the definition, a little bold definition there. Um, it's in the context of relationships and the way things are working in and out. Uh, in John 14, uh, the scripture calls, um, uh, Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. And he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you these things and bring these remembrances to you. And he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let your hearts not be troubled. That word helper there, sometimes in English is advocate, sometimes it's translated comforter. One of the most explicit places in all of Scripture that describes the Holy Spirit calls him the comforter. It's a Greek word, parakaleo. That's where we got um, one of the ministries that was started here a while back. Um, yeah, it's the coming alongside God. And so I'm not saying this is an explicit mention of the third person of the Trinity. I'm saying it's always in the mix, this kind of effervescent kind of uh, um, uh, power and, and uh, love and comfort that is in the mix. So all of our lives are born of this Trinity. All our comfort is received by this Trinity and is born out into comfort for neighbors. So every cup of water, every shoulder wept upon, every act of kindness, every listening ear is born from the comfort of God, the God of all comfort. When you are comforted, you are embodying the reality of the triune God, the God of all comfort. And when you act as comfort, you are doing the same. Our passage does goes on, established in this trinity, and says, well, what about what's happening with us? What it says is that the community of comfort embraces all of our pain. And, and, and to talk about this is to talk about two things, a mutuality and a vulnerability. Mutuality. Verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. By the way, if someone wants to like write a Gantt chart about how this thing works, I would love to see it. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Let me go back to the Trinity part. That, that this is not saying that when we suffer for someone, that is saving to that person. What it is saying is that the life of the Trinity, including the second person, the suffering son, is so part of what the comfort happens that salvation does occur as we live this life with him in the world. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. You see the mutuality there? Look at the language it uses. We have suffered abundantly, but we are sharing in Christ's sufferings. 
mutuality with God's suffering. When we, when we are afflicted, i.e. suffering, it is for your comfort and salvation. Mutuality. When we are comforted, it is so you'll be comforted. Mutuality. You experience that comfort even as we're suffering. A reverse mutuality. And with patience, we suffer together. Mutuality. And we have this unshaken hope that we share both in the sufferings and the comfort with each other and God. Mutuality. I cannot tell you how radical of an idea this is and how unnerving and liberating it is. This means that if you're in a season of ease, first, thank God. But if you're in a season of ease, yes, we should have our heads a bit on a swivel looking for where part of our body is hurting. And it means when you're in a season of relative affliction that we must make it known to our body, our brothers and sisters, not isolation, but mutuality. In our last week's passage, it said, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Last week, I'd said something about um, how we're not the Borg, and all 10 of you Trekkies laughed. There were more in the last service, just in case you're wondering. Um, but it was a reminder to talk about that even though we're united in one body and organism, there is distinction among us. And I would say the same thing for comfort. There is a distinct suffering. We experience the fallenness of this world in different ways, and it hits us all differently. But I want to say in another sense, we are the Borg. So I'm going to read from Wikipedia so that you know what the Borg is for you non-Trekkies. The Borg civilization is based on a hive or group mind known as the collective. Each Borg is linked to that collective by a sophisticated network that ensures each member is connected. The mental energy of the group consciousness can help an injured or damaged part heal or regenerate damaged body parts through its technology. I'm not saying the church is a Borg, but that's a pretty good analogy of how we live our lives together, how we are part of each other's healing. We care for each other in the crisis and in the daily grind, bringing food. You guys are the best food distribution church I've ever seen in my life. From darkest days to play dates to dinner times to walks together, it's what we do. If you were at the congregational meeting, I read from, or Roger referenced this, that we intend that no member of Redeemer live without food, clothing, or shelter. We intend also that no member of Redeemer suffer alone. Mutuality is the method of this mission towards connection and comfort. But we can't just do the mutuality thing without another part, which is vulnerability. And I use the word vulnerability. I had transparency, but I decide transparency isn't um, isn't um, necessarily humble enough of a word and reliant of enough of a word, because sometimes we can be transparent as an aggression for other people to be away. So it's not just being transparent, it's being vulnerable. You, l- listen to Paul's words. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. This was an outright riot. The gospel was moving so beautifully throughout Ephesus that all the silversmiths couldn't sell any more idols. And it was an economic revolt. It was a true riot that almost got them killed. 
For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. The courage of Paul to say these things must be that he's been connected to the very comfort of God. The more I've learned to be vulnerable to God and others in my afflictions, the more I realize how much I've spent my days avoiding those things and others in those things. So there's a vulnerability that's required. Peterson says, Eugene Peterson says, um, one of the most offensive phrases to appear in recent literature of pastoral care is grief management. To use techniques of bureaucracy with people at their most human and most vulnerable time is insensitive and inhuman. The Christian response to pain is not to explain it away with niceties or manage it, but endure it with vulnerability and mutuality together. You know what it's like. Stay busy. Stay angry. Stay happy. Stay numb. Stay distracted. Stay full in your belly or drunk or high or in that toxic relationship that feeds you some ways but doesn't really feed you at all. Keep grinding. Some of us become cynics or stoics or heroes or optimists. But cynicism is a life with an arrogant scowl. It's a way of keeping pain at arm's length, never letting it in. There's no vulnerability in it. There's no mutuality in it. Apathy is is like the shrugged shoulders, right? It's a hermetic seal on the heart. I'm not going to let it get in. Heroism is life with gritted teeth, but it's really just oftentimes taking up arms against the pain, fighting it off before it gets into you. And optimism is life with a Stepford smile. It's adding splendor to the sweet, to, to try to sweeten the bitter taste of affliction. No, there's got to be something else, something more when vulnerability and hope and comfort from God. All our temptations, these, none of those things are bad at times and seasons, but when it becomes the very way we deal with the pain of this world, it means we're not being vulnerable toward God or our friends. Facing grief and pain is facing reality. We need to do it together. And we need to know we're weak when we do it together. Look, I am so happy to have a philosophical discussion to you about the problem of pain. I've been trained to do that. But the problem with pain is not philosophical. It's physiological. Pain hurts. That's what it is. And when pain hurts, you know what can happen in those spaces. The last thing you want to do is be with someone else in their pain or give your pain to somebody else in a vulnerability, because you might get hurt. But the scriptures seem to be saying that there's a mutuality and vulnerability become in our pain, become this pathway to healing, and as we'll get to it, hope. Don't, listen, don't get me wrong. Some people will feel like you are too much. And sometimes some of us are too much because we're actually relying on one or two people to, do, to carry all the burden of the entire community. And sometimes in the suffering, you, like Paul, will despair of life itself. And sometimes when the pain is hit that hard, To be vulnerable or experience any mutual suffering with God, you don't even know if you believe God is there. And I want to say this, those can all be sinful things, but but they're also just a a response to actual pain that you live in. It isn't necessarily on them, it isn't necessarily on you, but it is on this broken world. And that is where God precisely enters into this world. 
and he impatiently in the Lord Jesus Christ embodied to them in word and deed that he would be with us in that pain and in that suffering because he's the God of all comfort. Look, y'all, I'm a professional Christian. I stand up here and I work through the week to find intimacy with God, to hear his word, and then by some ridiculous miracle in God's crazy plan, he asks a human being to come and speak for him. He should have got up. Yeah, anyway. Um, it is daunting, exhilarating, sometimes exciting, but I'm just like y'all. You don't think I have my doubts? You don't think I despair of life at times? This is why I lean into my friends, my 12 guys, my close friends here, my family, my wife, who can then, with her mutuality of suffering and her own vulnerability, can speak, and not just speak, be a comfort. And this is how a community of comfort embodies a a resurrection hope. And sometimes when we start talking about the resurrection, we think victory, victory, victory. And I am not saying the resurrection is victory. It is victory and vindication of the Lord Jesus Christ. But resurrection means something died. Our Lord Jesus is the one who entered into human suffering, not as a bystander, but as a participant. The participant in the suffering of all humanity even to death on a cross. Right after he says, despaired of life, he said, Paul says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us such a, from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope, because he will deliver us again. My thoughts on that, or he's talking about the resurrection. He's saying the second person of the Trinity, God himself, has suffered. Even to the point where there was a small seized time where he did not get to experience the love of that Trinity together. And that relationship was severed for a short time where he didn't experience God's comfort. He took the curse of sin and that separation on himself and absorbed it into his body. And yet because he did this, we are promised that it will never happen to us who are in him. That we will ultimately receive the full comfort because he's the God of comfort and he's made a way as we are united to Christ to have hope that he will wipe every tear from our eyes. I'm going to end with the Jesus story. When he came across Lazarus, his friend's tomb, and saw all those who were mourning, I'm sure it was loud and wailing. Did he get up there and say, I told you guys this is what it's like to live in a fallen world. Look at the devastation that sin has caused, and maybe even look into yourself about how you might have participated in the fall. No? Did he stare blank on the side 
unmoved, inaccessible? No. Did he say, buck up, y'all, hold up, I'm about, to, I'm about to do something crazy, I'm about to have a major miracle? No. Did he gloss over the pain with some spiritual niceties and say, it is better that our brother Lazarus is with the Father in heaven? No. No, in the most profound sentence of all scripture, if you especially bring the whole Trinitarian framework into it, it says the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, wept. The Lord of the universe, the sovereign and omnipotent one who created all things, the one in whom minutes would raise Lazarus from the dead, just faced reality as it was and awaited resurrection hope. He cried real tears in front of a real people to his real father in heaven. And yes, it is the foreshadowing of what he will do for all those who trust in him. He raised Lazarus from the dead, but y'all, you know he had to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's going to have to do it again because Lazarus died. It's that foreshadowing, that taste to live in this resurrection hope. There is no other religion who answers the problem of pain and suffering with the deity coming and doing the suffering himself and then being present amid suffering and then have the power to undo death. That's unique. Because the Trinity is unique. Because the comfort he gives is unique. And the comfort he builds in us is unique. We are a community of comfort because we've been deeply comforted by the Father and sharing that comfort with one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Father, Spirit, thank you for making this church one of its strengths, the ability to bring comfort. It is true, it's because we've had to be comforted so much and we thank you you've met us there. And we've suffered together and we've been comforted together. Somehow that's tied to you. And somehow, even in many times in weak ways, you distribute that comfort to our whole body. Grow us in this, we pray. In your name. Amen.